Premier Christian Newscast. It was a photograph which flew around the world. A bishop, dressed in a long black cassock and wearing a silver cross around his neck, is kneeling on the street. His arms are raised in prayer, and all around him loom menacingly armed police officers. The image went viral on social media, capturing the imaginations of Christians worldwide. But this sadly did little good for the bishop. He is Rolando Alvarez of the Matagalpa Diocese in Nicaragua, and shortly after the photo was taken, he, dozens of other priests and church workers were detained by the authoritarian government in Nicaragua. Most of the priests were forced into exile, but Bishop Rolando refused and has instead been sentenced to 26 years in prison. His crime? Standing up for his church and his people against the increasingly repressive regime of President Daniel Ortega. I'm Tim Wyatt and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. This week we're digging into a story which you've probably never heard of in a country we rarely think about. But the repression against the Catholic Church in Nicaragua culminating in the shocking arrest and jailing of Bishop Rolando, reveals a new face of persecution and oppression we cannot ignore. Well, hello, Kelly. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, Would you mind just before we start, just quickly introducing yourself and saying a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Hi, Tim. Well, my name is Kelly Valencia. I am part of the news team at Premier and I've been working with them for three years now. Brilliant. Well, I'm really pleased to have you on the podcast um, and really pleased about this story in particular, which I think is really important, but not something many of us here in in the UK will have ever really come across. Um, uh, Could we start before we get into the into the kind of the meat of the story? Could we start explaining a little bit about uh, Nicaragua as a place? Uh, Where is it? You know, who lives there? And a bit about the kind of religious context of that country as well. So Nicaragua is a small country um, in Central America. It shares borders with uh, Honduras to the north and Costa Rica to the south, which are countries that perhaps you have heard um, about before. And their population is about six million, almost seven million people. And really importantly, 6.4 of those are Christian and mostly Catholic, which I think hints a little bit about the importance of the Catholic Church uh, in the country. Hmm. And is it a kind of uh, established church or or what's the kind of legal status of of Christianity and and other faiths in Nicaragua? It is established church, although there are um, there is space for other churches. In fact, uh, evangelical and Protestant denominations have been uh, growing in the country in the last few years. But the Catholic Church has the majority uh, of the uh, believers and congregants. And this is because um, Catholicism was introduced in the country by the Spanish colonizers in the 16th century. And it has remained a key institution of, of the country and plays a significant role in schools, hospitals, and a lot of sort of outreach and, and provides a lot of services to the communities. And can you tell us a little bit about the current government in Nicaragua, uh, led by President Daniel Ortega? Could you tell us a little bit about who he is? How did he come to power? How long has he been in charge? So 
he is, as you say, he is currently leading the country. It's he says is a left wing um, government, but many people uh, and human rights organizations and sort of um, activists call him a dictatorship, really, because he has really close relationships with Venezuela. And uh, he's been in power since 2007. And that is the second time that he's been in power. He was in power in the 90s as well. Um, But although he has held presidential elections, the last one being in 2021, he has been accused of corruption and uh, a lack of transparency, really, in in the whole um, process. And that has naturally led to tensions within the country. And am I right in saying his wife is currently the vice president? That's correct. And then that is the one of the things that a lot of people complain about and have an issue with, because ever since he came to power in 2007, he's had um, his family involved. And as you say, um, his wife, Rosario Murillo, currently serves as vice, as vice president. So there's kind of growing concerns around, I guess, the kind of political freedoms and the human rights situation. But how does that intersect with Catholicism and, and, and the church? What, what does the Ortega kind of government think about the church? So, as I said earlier, the Catholic Church has played a vital role uh, in the in Nicaragua um, and in politics as well. And at various points in Nicaragua's history, uh, the Catholic Church has acted as a mediator in political and social conflicts, um, helping to resolve disputes and promote dialogue. So tensions between the two heightened, particularly in 2018, um, after President uh, Ortega announced uh, security reforms. And this led to weeks and weeks and weeks of protest uh, with people that weren't really, they didn't really agree with their reforms. And it eventually developed into a protest against Ortega's government. And at the time, the Catholic Church stepped in to facilitate dialogue between the government and protesters. But the Ortega government viewed the the church's involvement as siding with protesters. And consequently, after the protest um, had died out, the government released a report that accused religious leaders of an alleged coup attempt and called for the prosecution of religious leaders who supported the 2018 anti-government protest and also demanded the confiscation of church property. And naturally, this led to a lot of priests and other religious leaders being harassed, threatened, arbitrarily detained, etc. Hmm. And you've been speaking to um, CSW, the the um, persecuted church charity, to explain a bit more about how how the Nicaragua government have kind of turned against the church. That's right. So Emily Featherstone, who is the deputy team leader for Latin America at CSW, shared a little bit more about that tension between the church and the government. Um, It's likely that these religious leaders have been targeted because the government views them as a threat um, because of the broad social influence that they have. Often religious leaders take on the kind of role of community leaders where they are and and people look to them um, 
for guidance and for leading and that sort of thing. And so religious leaders who've been critical of the government policies and their actions um, have often been in, been in the firing line and faced threats and harassment, um, particularly those who've refused to ally themselves with the government. Um, and in the worst case scenarios, we've seen um, religious leaders being arbitrarily detained, uh, experiencing physical violence, and um, there have been a number who've been forcibly expelled from the country and have been denied um, their citizenship, which is obviously against international law. So this is the kind of situation that we, we've been seeing. Um, we currently have been working in the country now for about five years um, and have really seen a deterioration in the situation for, of freedom of religion or belief in the country. Um, yeah, then the United States um, State Department have announced Nicaragua as a country of particular concern as of 2021, and they renewed that again in 2022. So it is quite a critical um, situation and one in which we are monitoring very closely. So that's the kind of background to the story about uh, the anti-government protest in, in 2018, and then the Ortega regime kind of really cracking down on the church and kind of identifying them fairly or unfairly as as a kind of key opposition threat to the to the government um uh, can you bring us forward to to august last year 2022 uh, what happened then so in august 2022 uh, we heard uh, about bishop rolando alvarez i will tell you a little bit more about him later on but in august 4th 2022 bishop rolando alvarez together with other priests were put under arrest. Um, it was really unknown as to why that happened. Um, and I've had, um, and I've been able to speak to one of the priests who were put under house arrest that August. Um, he was arbitrarily detained and later forced to be exiled to the US. And that's the story that I, I want to bring to you today. His name is Father Ramiro Tejerino. He is 52. Uh, he decided to become a priest in his early 20s and has since dedicated his entire life to serve God and to serve communities in Nicaragua. And I spoke to him in Spanish, but don't worry, we've had a member of the news team translate his story for us. Great, and, and so we've got a clip of your of your conversation with Father Ramiro, um, in, in explaining um, who he who he is and and how he kind of comes into this story. I dedicated the last ten years entirely to academic activity, directing what used to be known as the Juan Pablo II University, because it was one of the universities closed by the regime very recently. And, well, I was working there as administrative and academic director of the university, which is the University of the Bishops' Conference of Nicaragua. And so on the 4th of August itself last year, um, could you say, what, what did Father Ramiro tell you about, about how, how that day unfolded? So it was actually really uh, moving to hear him talking about that because he was reminiscing and remembering of how that day um, unfolded. And he didn't really expect to become part of this global headline um, that the story became uh, at the time. And it became global because 
there was a picture of Bishop Rolando Alvarez kneeling down in front of riot police praying um, that they would let them uh, out of, of the house. Um, Father Ramiro wasn't really thinking of going to visit Bishop Rolando that day. He was having breakfast with um, some of the people he worked with uh, at his uh, parish. And but then while he was having breakfast with um with his with his staff, he received word that the police had surrounded the bishop's house. And he wasn't really surprised because things like this had happened before. Bishop Rolando was a vocal um opponent of Ortega's government. Um he had previously opposed the government's decision to shut down six Catholic radio stations. So it wasn't really news or unusual uh, for them to to see riot police um, surrounding or following uh, Bishop Rolando. But nevertheless, he thought he would go and check up on, on Bishop Rolando. And when he arrived, he was really surprised by the amount of riot police that, that were that there was outside um, Bishop Rolando's house. He requested to to entry to enter the house and once he was in, he saw that Bishop Orlando was unafraid and surprised. So together with a few other priests, uh, they decided to leave because they just thought the riot police was going to leave eventually. And let's um, dive back into your interview with, with, with the priest to hear what happened next. Y abrimos la puerta, veníamos prácticamente la mayoría y estaban los antimotines, que son la, las tropas antimotines eh, apostadas we opened the door and most of us were about to leave, but there were riot police stationed right in front of the door with their shields and well-armed and they wouldn't let us out. I said, we want to leave. They said, no, nobody can leave. I said, again, we want to leave, but they pushed us back inside with their shields, so we had to close the door and stay inside. I went to the bishop and said, Monsignor, they didn't let us out. And he answered, why? I said, I don't know. Well, he said, as I have to go out to a parish at four o'clock in the afternoon, we can all leave together then. When they didn't allow me to go out, I didn't think they were going to keep us there because the bishop had already been under surveillance, guarded, protected, as they would say, for several months. And usually only a patrol would stay outside, but he would go out and the patrol would follow him. So I thought it was going to be like that. All the riot police were going to leave, and it was just a matter of having a bit of patience, and then we could all leave. So, so this group of of priests and and the bishop are now stuck inside the house. Um, what what happened then? So. Father Ramiro was basically the last one to enter the house. No one else was allowed in or out. Um, not even the official, the not even the usual staff that would come in and help uh, Bishop Rolando with cleaning and cooking. So Father Ramiro actually told me that he became the official chef during those fourteen days that they were going to be um, in in that house. And he remembered he he made. Uh, pasta carbonara and everyone was was really happy that he had and had done that and he he knew how to cook basically um and the mood in the house was 
really calm. They weren't really afraid. Um, but obviously, as the time went by, they began to wonder when the riot police was going to come in and arrest them because it wasn't really uh, normal, so to speak, to to be put under house arrest for so long. And the fact that they weren't allowing anyone in or out was also a bit suspicious. And and Father Ramirez started asking the priests that were there inside with him what they thought. And again, they were very calm um, and they didn't really think much of it. But he was more cautious because he he could see that drones were being flown over the building to check um, for their precise location. And as it turned out, Father Ramirez's caution was well-founded because authorities did indeed enter the house on the 19th of August. We're going to hear a little bit about how that unfolded as part of your interview. But just before we do, do, do we know what was going on in the rest of Nicaragua? Was it was it well known in the country that this kind of standoff with the bishop's house was happening? Did people Were people aware that the government had kind of locked, kind of, you know, imprisoned all these priests and bishop inside their house? So that wasn't really how the story was being sold around Nicaragua. And again, because these sort of scenes have been seen before, they weren't really surprised and they didn't really think that this was going to go any further. So yeah, people weren't really, they were following up, they were following the story very closely, but they just thought it was another way in which the government was trying to send a message to to the priests and, and religious leaders to focus on their work rather than comment on what the government was doing. I think the repercussion was mostly outside. So a lot of international um, human rights organizations and religious leaders, so the Bishops' Conference of Latin America, put uh, a statement out calling for the release of Bishop Rolando. But within Nicaragua, there wasn't really much surprise. They were sort of waiting with them to see what was going to happen next. And so for an astonishing 14 days, two whole weeks, they're, they're holed up inside the chancery, um, no one in, no one out, having to scrounge together what food they can find. Um, but then uh, on the 19th of August, battle ends. Um, and let's uh, hear from Father Ramiro how that happened. It all happened at three in the morning. They entered from above, they pushed us out of our rooms with blows and shoves. It was something I can't even describe. I'd been sleeping in the bishop's room. He'd given me his room and I heard noises outside, but I thought it was the priests and seminarians chasing or killing some rats or something because I kept hearing, there goes one, there, there goes another. And since they were doing it near my window, I got a bit annoyed and I told them, let me sleep, it's three in the morning, only the devil's up at this hour. So I opened the door very slowly and saw riot police running. I quickly closed the door, quietly, and tried to get dressed because I was in my pyjamas. I tried, but I didn't have a chance because they kicked the door open and dragged me out as soon as I closed it. They put us all in the bishop's conference room, a fairly large meeting room, and we stayed there for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then they put us on a bus directly to El Chipote in Managua. And the bishop was taken first. He left first. I remember, as he passed us, we said, God bless you, Monsignor. And he replied, 
God bless you, Father. Be strong. Those were the last words we heard from him and the last time we saw him. Nos montaron en un autobús y directamente pues para para el chipote en Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. So after uh, the riot police break in and arrest them all, what what happened next? Where where was Father Emiro taken? So they were being transported to the city's main prison, and Father Emiro shared with me that he initially thought that they were merely being taken to the police station for questioning. Again, basing that in previous uh, occasions and previous experiences with other priests, but when he realized that they were headed to El Chipote, which is, again, the city's main prison, it dawned on him that the upcoming months would be quite complicated. And in those moments, he started thinking about his family. Um, They had already gone through a similar situation with his nephew, who was arrested during during those protests in 2018. And he couldn't really shake the thought of his 78-year-old mother, who had already endured so much for her grandson, now having to do the same for her son. So Father Ramiro found himself in prison, facing two charges. The first was conspiracy to undermine the integrity of the state of Nicaragua. And the second one was spreading false news through the use of technology and social media, both under Nicaragua's cybercrime law, which had passed uh, recently. And in January of this year, he was given a 10-year prison sentence and he was also ordered to complete 800 hours of community service. Let's um, hear a bit more from Father Amiro about how, how he felt when he found out um, that that was going to happen. Desde que entré, sabía yo que íbamos a estar ahí condenados. De hecho, acuérdate que te... From the moment I walked in, I knew we were going to be found guilty. In fact, remember I told you we'd already dealt with my nephew's situation, right? So we already had some idea of how these cases and processes unfolded. So it was logical that we would be found guilty, that we'd have no hope of acquittal. Honestly, we knew we were going to be convicted. And it's challenging to enter Chipote and walk out free. So if they take you to Chipote, it means there's a a priori, there's a verdict already, right? It didn't break us, didn't hit us hard or surprise us. Actually caused us to chuckle a bit because it seemed absurd. So picking up the story, Father Amiro is, is in prison. Um, is he in prison with the other priests and, and Bishop Rolando at this point, or are they being held elsewhere? So the last time they saw Bishop Rolando was when the police broke in into the chancery. He was together with some of the other priests that were in under the house that were in, in the house when the police broke in. But they couldn't really communicate with each other at first. And I think we will hear from him later saying how they reunited at a later point. Um, But he was pretty much alone and he had to make new friends in prison. And 
he he told me he had this very odd experiences with police officers who would come to his cell and tell him that their mothers knew who he was and appreciated his work in the community and that they were praying for him and sort of hint at the fact that it was unfair that he was there but they wouldn't say it clearly of course because they wouldn't they're not allowed to say that but he was together with other political prisoners and other activists who had opposed Ortega's government. And do we have any sense of um, the reaction in in wider Nicaraguan society? Because you said, you know, the, the people have become used to the government harassing uh, the church, but this is probably a, a breaking new ground to actually be giving, you know, 10-year prison sentences to, to serving priests. I think Nicaraguans in general are pretty afraid of making any public statements uh, about about this particular situation and any other crackdown on priests and uh, religious leaders. The, the cybercrime law that men- that I mentioned earlier means that any sort of indication that you're opposing the government on your personal social media could be used against you. So I think a lot of Nicaraguans wouldn't express what they really thought of the situation because they're afraid they are afraid of the consequences hmm. yeah so the i guess the ortega regime has really very effectively kind of chilled free speech and people's ability to to express themselves by kind of that slightly insidious use of the kind of fake news which we've seen hmm. lots of authoritarian regimes around the world adopt as a similar way of kind of clamping down on dissent and and opposition sentiment hmm. online uh, where, where was father Ramiro's kind of faith at at this point is is he is he struggling with the idea about you know how can how can God be letting this happen to him? You know, is he is he feeling confident that that the wider Catholic Church internationally is going to kind of step in for him? Did you did you ask him about that? I did, and he he did admit to me that at first he struggled with it. He was struggling to see what the purpose of it all was. Uh, he didn't feel alone. He didn't feel that God had left him or had abandoned him. But he was more struggling with the purpose of it all. And he he mentioned a visit that he had with his mother who really helped him in the way he looked at his time in prison. He said that his mother basically told him to get used to the idea that he might never leave prison and that he should probably think about the way that that experience, the experience in prison would help with his ministry at some point. So it was more a message of get used to your new reality and think about the ways you can bring God into this prison rather than focus on whether you're going to leave this prison or not. Again, drawing on the experience that Father Ramiro's mom had already had with their nephew. And so Father Ramiro is in prison um, for a, a month or so after his um, conviction sentencing in, in January but then on the 8th of February things started to change again what what happened there? So by this point Father Ramiro had already gotten used to prison he he had already shared some concerns about his legal process but he was pretty much used to the idea that he might have to spend the rest of his life in prison. So he was getting family visits, opportunities to prayer again, conversations with 
the officers there. He had basically come to terms with the idea that he that God was with him and he had to make the most out of his situation. But as you said, on February the 8th, everything just took a completely unexpected turn. Around 10 p.m. that evening, he and his fellow inmates noticed a lot of activity among the prison officers. They were distributing civilian clothes, sandwiches and drinks, and they didn't really know what was happening. They came to our cell block and I remember that one of the officers asked, where are the religious fathers? Where are the religious fathers? And as we were in the first cell, I remember I said, here we are, officer. Okay, okay, your name, your name. They asked, Ramiro Terino, I said. Clothes, 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 they shouted. So they gave us the clothes we were captured in. And they gave everybody clothes. Get dressed, get dressed, they kept shouting. And we were like, what's going on here? Right, and so the, the priests are then, um, they realise, they start to find out they're being transferred to the airport. What did they think was happening? So initially they thought it could be a fortitude, uh, perhaps to demonstrate that they were uh, being well taken care of, um, again, as a sort of propaganda for the government. Another thought was that they were being relocated to another prison, but that didn't really make sense because they were given civilian uh, clothes. They were put into these three buses and Father Ramiro was in the last one and that gave him like an advantage point of view to see where the other buses were heading. And that's and that's when he realised that he was being taken to the, the, to the airport. The bus parked just by the plane on the runway and Father Ramiro noticed that it wasn't the international airport but rather the Air Force's runway. It was at that point when each of them were given a document that presented them with the option of being exiled to the United States. And at that point, they realised they weren't just the priests, but they were together with another 190-ish people. We just kept looking at each other, completely baffled and wondering what was happening. And given the circumstances, who's going to say no, right? Then questions started arising. What about my family, my homeland, my belongings? And we asked and kept asking and called out, Bishop, Bishop, we thought he was already on the plane, that he'd already been processed. So we signed the document. And when we were already on the runway, there was people who we immediately identified as North Americans because of their accent. And they introduced themselves as members of the United States Department of State. There was a lady who asked for my name, so I told her, and she said, yes, your name's on the list. And they checked some passports. And then she put her hand on my shoulder and said, you're free now, thank God, she said. And feel at ease after everything you've been through. Feel at ease. And her eyes were teary. I couldn't quite understand what was happening here. That's how they took each of us. After we boarded the plane, a rumour spread that Monsignor Rolando was on the same plane. We thought he was in first class, in fact. So we said, let's leave him to rest. Let's leave it. Let's not worry. And it was only when we were practically in the air that we realised 
he wasn't <laughs> and kept asking where he was because if we'd known he wasn't coming we wouldn't have boarded the plane we would not have boarded the plane and it hurt us a lot once we were here in Washington on the 9th to know that he was still there but as Father Ramirez says at the end of that last clip, um, among those 190 people, it was there was not Bishop Rolando. Uh, he didn't sign the document and he did not agree, is that right, to be exiled? Well, in, it's understood that's the case. Again, we don't really know whether Bishop Rolando was given the option. Um, a lot of people are saying that, yes, that he was given the option and he chose not to leave his country. Um, there is the case of another bishop that exiled to the US in 2018, again, as a result of that harassment and, and threats caused by the government in during the 2018 uh, civil unrest. Um, but it seems that Bishop Rolando didn't want to do that. It looks like he decided to stay in Nicaragua to inadvertently become the symbol of, of fighting for uh, human rights and religious freedom. But he he was then sentenced to 26 years in prison, along with four years uh, for not completing community service hours. And he was also stripped of his citizenship. And the cases of Bishop Rolando and Father Ramiro are just two cases of hundreds uh, of religious leaders who have been adversely affected by President Ortega's persecution, um, which has been reinforced by new laws. And we're going to hear a bit more about uh, about the situation there from Emily Featherstone again from CSW. He is currently being held in a in a um, in a punishment cell with very little light, um, and he rejected a second offer of freedom in exchange um, for forced sex cell and said he will only accept an offer that is unconditional and also includes the freeing of other priests in prison. Um, Daniel Ortega was inaugurated as president um, along with his wife at the beginning of January last year, 2022. Um, that was following his re-election in November 2021, which was a process, a process that was marred by months of government repression and the arrest of a number of candidates who were part of the opposition. And so I think it's all part of the government's crackdown um, on independent voices in order to uh, consolidate power. Um, so that I think that's why we've seen the intensification of um, these kinds of violations and, um, you know, a number of different laws being passed as well have also just enabled um, the the repression to, to intensify. So there was um, a new law passed in 2020, which um, was a cybercrime law, and it kind of intensified and introduced penalties of up to 10 years in prison for anyone who posted online. And so the law that Emily mentions in that clip is the same law that was used to target and persecute both Father Amiro and Bishop Rolando. Yeah, that's that's right. That is the same law that allows 
the government to look into um, people's personal social media accounts and and comments um, to see if there's anything that hints uh, opposition or criticism of the government's uh, laws and actions. And it's basically being used to put people in prison. And what has been the kind of international community's response to both Bishop Rolando being imprisoned and these other priests being being exiled? Have there been people kind of drawing attention to their plight? So ever since that image of Bishop Rolando kneeling down in prayer in front of riot police went viral, a lot of uh, organisations and the bishop the bishops' conference of of a lot of countries have come out and and said that he should be released. They've called out for for people to look into the human rights abuses that are happening in Nicaragua. And they have persistently called for, for his release and have raised awareness of, of the situation there. And very interestingly, we've seen the relationship between Nicaragua and the Vatican deteriorate significantly uh, with Pope Francis being reported saying that the Ortega administration is like a communist or Nazi dictatorship. Um, So those are pretty strong um, accusations. And we've also seen the European Union taking a stance against uh, human rights abuses in Nicaragua. Um, And even the United Kingdom, Fiona Bruce MP, uh, has raised this issue in Parliament as part of her role as the Prime Minister's Special Envoy for Freedom of Religion or Belief. I find this story particularly interesting because it just reminds me of uh, I'm not I'm not an expert on this part of the world or the theology, but as far as I understand, the Nicaraguan Church is not the only Catholic church in in South America that has a tradition of kind of standing up against political authorities. And indeed, there's an entire kind of spiritual theological tradition called liberation theology, which kind of grew out of that context. So, I think Bishop Rolando and Father Ramiro and their their colleagues are really standing in an interesting tradition of, of South American. Catholicism in in what they're doing in Nicaragua and it's really fascinating as well that it comes at a time when we have the first South American Pope the Argentine uh, Pope Francis as well who's probably going to be very familiar with with the context there so I guess we will very strong words as you said from from Pope Francis and we will see whether the Vatican is able to put any pressure on on the Ortega government to um to 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 free Bishop Rolando and the others um just just concluding then did, did Father Amira have any kind of final points any things that we can do or pray uh, those of us far away from from Nicaragua here in the West? Well, Father Ramiro was actually very grateful that we were discussing this uh, in the UK um, because very rec- only last year, Nicaragua joined the Open Doors uh, list of countries where, where Christians experience extreme persecution. So he was very grateful for our thoughts and our prayers. And he just wanted to ask for our continued support in, in prayer and to continue to speak up uh, for the injustices that are happening in his country. Es una gran injusticia la que se está haciendo con él. It's a great injustice what's happening to him. And it's sad because it's been difficult for Father Rolando not to become invisible. And if we stop talking about him, he'll spend another 30 years there. 
I think that after living through what he's lived through, the most difficult thing is the loneliness, the fact of being alone, not being able to receive frequent regular visits from his family who are very close to him. Likewise, I know that the pastoral aspect of his life, his diocese, he loves his diocese, the diocese of Matealpa and his priests. And I know that he must be going through a purification, of course, like us. But in the human aspect, it's natural that as humans, we have moments of reflection, of doubt, of inner struggle. So your prayers for him, those prayers are felt. When I say they're felt, it's real. You can feel it. There are days when he may not even want to get up from the tile he's sleeping on. But all of a sudden he says, no, here we go, we're going up. And when you say that, wow, right, there it is. There's the power. Prayer has that power from the Lord in that respectful and wonderful way that he has of touching us to do that, to lift us up. So your prayers for everybody are much appreciated. And I want to thank thank those of you who are listening to this interview now. Thank you for your prayers, for my nation, for my church. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 